Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Enjoying the podcast? Let us know. Send a recording or written testimonial to podcast at cbeinternational.org of why Mutuality Matters matters to you, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. You are listening to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters, the global impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing. It is a great pleasure and privilege to interview Francesca Quirk. We call her Frankie, along with my co-host, Kimberly Dixon. Welcome, Frankie. Hi. Great to be with you. Great. So we have uh, uh, another this is a second tier fund staff member working in the area of sexual and gender-based violence. Uh, Frankie, um, can you just share maybe a couple of comments from your uh, bio that you want to share with our audience that relates to this show? Sure. Yeah, thanks. So, um, yeah, I'm part of tier fund sexual gender-based violence at team. Um, I've been working in this area um, for about seven years now. Um, and for me, it's really an area of passion um, as a as a Christian, as a believer, as a feminist. Um, I love being able to work at this intersection of um, faith and gender inequality, sorry, gender equality and preventing sexual gender-based violence. Um, and it's a pleasure to, to be with you and to discuss that today. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to listen to a few of your reflections on your tear funds podcast, and it explored (laughs) what you're doing with gender inequality. So could you tell our listeners who didn't get to hear that a bit about tear funds work in this area, and what your work is in sexual and gender based violence? Sure, yeah. So Tear Fund's work um, in addressing sexual and gender-based violence started around um, 2010, and it really came out of our existing work um, on HIV prevention and response um, through really hearing from um, women, from survivors, about the intersections of HIV and sexual violence and seeing that, you know, transmission was often related to sexual violence. And so um, through that process, really developing survivor peer support groups um, that started in South Africa. Uh, In South Africa, it's grown into the Papisa movement. Um, And this approach of survivor support groups, um, we now call Journey to Healing. um, And that's in about over 10 countries um, and that's really about survivors walking together in their healing journey um, and really that came about because there was a real gap in survivors um, being supported within their churches so survivors wanted their places of worship to be places of refuge 
often they found that they were stigmatized, that they were rejected from their faith community. They really wanted their faith leaders to be allies and advocates for them, uh, but that was often sorely lacking. And so the idea was to be able to um, support these these um, these groups uh, to enable them to be together and for faith to be part of their healing. Sometimes um, there are uh, healing programs, support programs, um, psychosocial programs, but there's that missing element of faith that people really wanted. They really wanted um, fellow women to stand beside them and to pray with them and to really bring um, their experience, the injustice, their healing process uh, into their faith space um, and to be able to, to continue to, to praise and to pray to God with others. Um, and then out of that same process of really um, learning from and working with these survivors, they really highlighted the need to engage faith leaders, as I said, to be allies, to speak out on you know, to stand with them, um, to speak out against stigma, to, you know, to uphold their value and their dignity, their importance to the faith community, to the body of Christ, um, and also to, um, to engage theologically uh, around that, to, to get to this root issue of gender inequality, which was creating an environment in which sexual violence was seen as um, normalised, um, uh, and so not addressed and so alongside that was really the importance of engaging men to break this cycle of violence to break this um, belief that men were created superior to women um, because so often that's you know backed up by or can be backed up by religious teaching um, and so we developed alongside journey to healing we developed what we call transforming masculinities um, which is really trying to bring this discussion uh, about sexual and gender-based violence, prevention, and gender inequality within a Christian framework, and really focusing on the equal value of all people made in God's image. Um, and we really look at Jesus Christ as a model of positive masculinities, and it's a reflective process, engaging men and women um, together, along with faith leaders, to, yeah, to, to better understand that gender equality is a biblical principle and not something which you know is threatening to our faith. Wow, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, that's amazing. Can I ask? So you said when you started, um, mm. the 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 women wanted to meet in the churches, but they weren't really accepted. Is that because they had HIV? You said this was. I'm not sure. Was this part of the HIV outreach, or is it because they had been raped? Why weren't they accepted in the churches when they were the victims? Yeah, so the stigmatization, um, it can be for HIV, but more broadly, even for um, survivors, we're not talking about the context of HIV, there's this sense that um, that there is a victimization of those who are raped. There's this, you know, it comes back to this belief about female purity. Um, and so now that purity is damaged there, you know, it, there can be rejection from their partner from their husband um, and from the church itself because they are now um, to some extent you know seen as unclean seen as um, tarnished and so yeah it's it's it can be maybe a hard thing to fully um, understand but there was a strong yeah rejection of survivors and does that go hand in hand with what you had said um 
that sexual violence was normalized in the church? And what do you mean by that? Yeah, and I think when I say it's normal, um, I think it's both in the church and without the church, right? So okay. often, we, you know, um, the church and the culture can be quite intermingled, especially if, you know, where uh, in settings where the church is, you know, the majority faith and it's very... Um, you know, high adherence to faith those it's the lines a bit more blurred so I think broadly um there is maybe what I can say is sometimes when we think about sexual violence we think only about um maybe non-partner sexual violence or rape that's outside of uh the partner relationship mm-hmm. but actually um intimate partner violence is you know the greatest risk to to women the um, the violence in their own home that is so um, prevalent uh, and is normalized in the sense that um, there is a an expectation one that it's it's a private and a domestic space and so you know that's not uh, easily addressed because there's a sense that uh, what happens in the home is really decided by the head of the household which is often taught to be male uh, and so there can be both kind of a taboo, there's strong taboos around um, violence in the home, um, but also there can be uh, an acceptance by men and to some degree by women, depending on the context, that in certain situations, um, sexual and physical violence is justified, for example, where women are not fulfilling their normative roles. So if women are supposed to um, do the care work, look after children, cook the food, be submissive. If they um, transgress those expectations, then it can be uh, expected or accepted that there might be um, discipline, that word that often comes up, um, Mm -hmm. physical discipline, which is essentially violence. Um, And what we found in a baseline study in DRC, which I always think about, um, is, you know, that people might say, no violence isn't acceptable as a kind of blanket thing but then you know if if the food is burnt or if there isn't food or if the children aren't cared for if that the clothes aren't washed then okay yes in those situations it can be acceptable was um higher response rate um and also again when we bring in scriptural references um so for example you know rape um is acceptable had less um, agreement than when it was phrased as um, the Bible gives um, a husband rights to his wife's body. There was much higher acceptance um, mm. agreement with that. And so it shows that um, sometimes the, when we bring in this element of referring to scriptures, um, it can actually increase mm. the male, um, I guess, superiority and control over uh, his partner and the household so when you work in these contexts and address faith issues particularly scripture are you finding that a powerful lever in transforming um thinking around the roles of women and therefore the violence that occurs yeah, so I think it's a combination of different things. Um, so, for example, so just to explain a bit better, transform masculinities. Um, it's we do these three day workshops, which are um, interactive and reflective workshops, and we do them firstly with faith leaders, 
Um, and then we do it with men and women in the community who become group facilitators to then do it in small group discussions in the community for men and women. Um, and with these workshops, what we start by saying is we look at the issue of sexual gender based violence. We look at, um, you know, that kind of high level the statistics in the country, but really we're asking people to share stories from their communities, from people they know that are impacted by sex and gender-based violence. And it's not hard to find those stories. People share those stories. Um, and it's clear, you know, it's clear that it's happening, whether it's that intimate partner violence, whether it's um, abuse outside of the home, um, whether it's um, women, you know, not allowed to make decisions over finances, not allowed to have, um, to hold money, to hold land, to have inheritance. There's all these different examples that we're looking at. And then we're trying to get to this root issue of gender inequality. Um, that that, you know, that fundamental belief that, that men are superior and you know, and within a faith framework that men are created above women or created to um to dominate, to lead women. Um and so when through the workshop we do different activities to kind of make these connections between unequal power um, and violence um, and impunity for violence if accepted you know that men are leading the household then um, there's a certain acceptance for how that's going to be led uh, when the power balance is so great sorry the power balance is yeah is so distinct um, then it creates an environment in which often women are treated as the objects um, as the things that men have control over and that's sanctioned you know by the church by the culture it's it's so permeated um in the norms of cultures all around the world um that yeah that impunity is there because it's because it's so normalized um and so in the workshops we do activities to look at this power status and we do refer a lot to scriptures we look at a lot at um genesis one we look at how men and women are created um together that they are given a shared mandate before the fall that they are you know it's it's not there's not a distinction in their roles prior to the fall um but it's really you know post the fall post consequences of sin that we see this division of labor we see um this disruption in the harmony of relationships between men and women and so when we're as christians we know that christ came to restore and redeem all things we're working backwards to that original design and so we we don't want to be bound by the you know the post fall um gender roles but really to go back to that original design of equality and partnership um and of communication and decision making together um and we yeah so we look at different scriptures we look at um scriptures around um marriage uh think about the verses that often come up and i'm sure you know this much more than me but um around headship um around women's submission in marriage often there's not so much focus on the role of men to to care for their wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her uh, and so we start you know to kind of give alternative or create space for alternative understandings of these scriptures which are so often used to reduce women and to uphold um these patriarchal structures that um yeah that keep men in power and create an environment in which violence is is possible probable and almost expected 
So these typical trainings that you do over the three-day period, do you go back then and measure the impact of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, without getting a bit <laughs> too into, I guess, all the kind of project stuff, but so when we are doing a project or, yeah, we're starting transform masculinities in a, in a particular area, um, as I said, we work with the faith leaders, um, then they nominate men and women in their community or their church to be these gender champions. And then um, those gender champions take these same topics that we discuss over the three days, uh, and then it's spread out over six weeks. So they, um, men and women meet separately, uh, groups of eight to 10 men and women meet separately uh, for six weeks, for two hours a week, uh, and go over the same content. Um, and those run, you know, those, so, those 10 people will finish that cycle and then another 10 people will start the idea being that um as much as many people as possible can participate in these dialogues uh, and that might run for you know 24 months in a particular location and then we look at what's the you know there's obviously there's ongoing monitoring throughout that time so um speaking with the faith leaders speaking with the gender champions how are things going um monitoring how the dialogues are happening whether you know the the core messages of the supportive materials are being followed, whether there are particular challenges that are coming up, um, and then every, at the end of every cycle, um, men and women who've participated share their stories, what's changed in their um, personal relationships, in their churches, um, and so we kind of have that ongoing monitoring, um, sharing back, and then also uh, evaluations at the end of the project period. So. Uh, in what works which is a bit ago now 2015-2018 transfer masculinities was evaluated um, in eastern DRC in 15 conflict affected communities and by the end of the project at uh, 24 months um, we saw IPV reduced by 60% and non-partner sexual violence reduced by over 80% I believe. Um, wow. Wow. So we're seeing those big reductions. Also, Nigeria recently, uh, more recently, sorry, there was a project from 2018 to 2021 uh, with Christians and Muslims. So they were paired communities. Um, and that also had an element of social cohesion uh, because there was a history of, of conflict between Christians and Muslims in that in those communities. But also there we saw um, IPV reduce especially emotional IPV reduced by 60%. Can you, can you say what IPV is again sorry, for our excuse, listeners? Sorry, intimate partner violence. Okay, thank you. Sorry, excuse me. Yeah, so that's the violence that's happening within the home that is typically the, the most prevalent form of violence. Okay, so intimate partner violence reduces by, you said, about 60% after yeah. a two-year program in a region or area? Yes. Wow. And then up to 80% as well. So that was, yeah, the non-partner sexual violence. Right. And wow. can you think of a story that uh, has deeply impressed itself upon you uh, in your work that sort of illustrates more uh, personally what, what you've experienced in this process and others as well? So I think there are a lot of stories. Um, and almost, you know, that's, that's the thing which really strikes me, that there's this commonality the, a lot of the stories that you hear are 
to some degree similar. Now, some of the details might be different, um, but whether it's Brazil or DRC or Myanmar, Colombia or South Africa, all around the world, we hear stories which are similar. Um, and so I think about you know, um, a story of a couple and the husband himself was, was sharing this. Uh, he, you know, he didn't listen to his wife. He really treated her as a thing. He, he wouldn't let her visit her own mother for the 23 years that they were married. Uh, he wow. forbid that her. Um, so her mother never met the, their children. Um, he didn't allow her any money. She couldn't buy even soap to wash herself. Mm. Um, he beat her. And so, you know, it's this, this degradation of another human being, you know, the lack of choice, lack of autonomy, um, to be able to make her own choices. Uh, and, but then, you know, they were sharing, the reason they were sharing this story was, you know, they were saying how going through this process, really understanding God's vision for equality um, had really changed them. He, you know, he'd taken them to go and visit the mother in her, in her hometown, bring her gifts, apologize, Wow. Um, his wrongness and you know the wife was saying how much their life had changed how they made decisions together how she was free of violence and so that's really gives hope because yes the stories that you hear can be hard they you know often we hear stories about abuse within the church either where the church sorry the church is such a kind of big term to use but where say in a local church um either the the victim wasn't believed or a church leader was the perpetrator. And so there's no one holding them to account. Um, or situations where people who are vulnerable um, are abused under the guise of spiritual support or additional spiritual mentoring by church leaders. Um, but I think it's, it's not necessarily specific to um, church leadership. I don't, it's not really entirely what I want to say I think it's again where there's this such an imbalance of power where often um, there can be a lack of accountability um, or lack of questioning um, for church leaders depending on the you know the culture within the church um, so I think there are a lot of stories um, that you hear but yeah there's a lot of um, similarities and I think it's really the hope that we need sometimes I think we hear so often this the statistic of one in three women will experience some form of sexual gender-based violence in their lifetime. We hear it perhaps so often, it becomes almost normalized. It's almost what we expect. Um, and so we also need to kind of couple those sort of statistics about the prevalence with examples of where we've seen rates drop and that we, you know, that there's something that can be done to, to address and to prevent sexual gender-based violence. Really great. Yeah, well, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you, like you said, it's not the church, it's basically a culture. So you're going to find that everywhere. And you go in with the transformative word of, of Jesus. And as people internalize that, everyone changes the husbands, the leadership, the church, where they mm -hmm. recognize that men and women are both created in the image of God as equals. Mm -hmm. And that changes their relationships. So you would expect it to change from the grass through the house all the way through to the leadership of the church. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you're seeing. Yes. Yeah. And that's why, um, you know, it's intentional to have these different uh, activities, like directly engaging the faith leaders. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean that when we do the workshops with faith leaders, it's not 
saying like you should do more of xyz um or here's a sermon series to preach from Mm -hmm. but really that when they come into the room they're coming in first and foremost as people they are predominantly men the women female faith leaders also come but really coming as as people as followers of jesus as um sons as husbands as brothers um and reflecting on on who they are and how they relate with others how they hold the power that they have in this society in a way that lifts others up in a way that models the servant leadership of jesus Mm -hmm. and it's really about that as you say that personal transformation at the leadership level um and then yes at the um for the men and women in the community in the congregation there's that ongoing conversation so that um people are on a journey of change together because it's very hard as we're saying like if you've got such ingrained cultural norms mm-hmm. of male dominance of um gender inequality then you know you can't shift it with a workshop it has to be an ongoing conversation within that community in that church I love that the community basically is doing it together because it seems like there's a support. They see the change. It's not just a one-off or one person hears it and it's so against culture, it's hard to change. But when they're all doing it or a big group of them are doing it, um, then they have each other's support as they learn and grow and change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that also helps with, um, you know, uh, sometimes when we talk about engaging men we can think we're we're just engaging men by themselves Mm -hmm. but when we're looking to shift um away from harmful gender norms then it's a conversation for men and women together Mm -hmm. um because women are also raising sons their wives you know part of we're all part of this network and sometimes you know it can happen that men are like oh right okay well I'm going to now start cooking I'm going to now start washing the clothes or carrying the baby um and there's two things with that one is that it needs to be a conversation um for the the husband and wife um about that so it's not again the man's just saying right I'm going to do this now um but also for the woman because if that's like if your identity if you've been raised as we all are you know these are global issues um that your value is also tied up in these your female gender norms um then when that gets taken away um Mm -hmm. then that's destabilizing and there could be pushbacks you know we'll know that the kitchen is my space or this is my only space or this is a space where I have some kind of autonomy right so it has to be a joint conversation of what is this going to look like to equally value each other to equally value the work that we do um in order to create a more, uh, you know, a happy and peaceful um, and equitable family, home, community, institutions. Um, Yeah. Jesus' servant leadership truly does transform us as individuals, transforms our marriages, transforms our communities. And it does take a lot of working together, of prayer, of talking, and having Jesus through the Holy Spirit working in us to bring about such transformation. We really appreciate Frankie talking about the details of how this works and talking about these programmings that Tear Fund does. Her interview is so good that we've decided 
to separate it into two episodes. And so you've just heard the first episode, and we encourage you to join us again next month to hear the second half of Frankie's interview. We really want to thank you for joining us today, and please go to our show notes for more details about Frankie, about Tear Fund, and about our podcasts. Between now and next month, please stay tuned for new episodes coming to you from our incredible team of co-hosts. Also, we have a new website, so check it out at cbeinternational.org, where you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, watch videos, and listen to audio of past conferences and events. You can subscribe to our blog, magazine, and academic journal, or visit our bookstore, which contains tons of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I'm Kimberly Dixon with Mimi Haddad, and we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.